BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Have you ever wondered when you talk to a therapist and maybe you go to a session or maybe you are a therapist, have you ever wondered what is it like for them? Because there are people too, right? And so there are moms, there are dads, and there are sons and daughters. And sometimes when they have a hard day, maybe they get into an argument or maybe something really terrible happened and it weighs on them. Have you ever wondered when helpers hurt? How do they work through it? Have you thought about that? Well, in today's episode, it's when helpers hurt too with Morgan. Hannah Leck, coming right up. Oh, don't worry about today or things we cannot change. It's over the past we can erase. Welcome to the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray, and I am a licensed therapist and the host of the show. And I am so happy that you are here today. I appreciate you so much. And I know that you are listening to this maybe for the first time, or maybe it's not the first time, been around for a while. I appreciate you. And I know we all come from different walks of life and from all over the world. Some of you are in a different world, a different world, in a different part of the world right now. And some of you are struggling right now. And maybe this title really is enticing to you. And I want to speak to those of you who are helpers, whether you're a therapist or not, maybe, maybe you're a caregiver and you're hurting and you are really trying your best to help other people, but then you need someone to help you. And it's hard to do both. It's hard to help when you need help yourself. Well, today we're going to be talking with Morgan and Morgan is a mental health speaker. She's an author and a therapist. And she's going to be talking about overcoming her own mental illness. And that has inspired her to help others and let them know they aren't alone. Oh, I love that. Morgan's passion has led her to some beautiful people and places. And she wants to share that with the world. Oh, that's awesome. Morgan, I am so happy you're here. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, John. It's great to be here. Well, I'm really excited about this because this is a topic that I don't think really gets talked about a lot. And, and that is when helpers hurt too, because they can't, they can't necessarily just block out their pain, their emotional pain. And they can't always just say, well, I'm just not going into work today because they're helpers. And so they have a lot of people that they're helping. And so sometimes they carry that burden on them with them into the session, let's say, let's say maybe it is a therapist and they carried it into the session and that's hard to hold on to that. 
while trying to be present for their clients. And that can be tough. And so before we get into that, I would love to kind of know your story, kind of your backstory and how did you become involved in this in the first place? Yeah. So when I was an adolescent, I had developed an eating disorder. And what accompanied that eating disorder was depression and anxiety and some OCD symptoms. So I was going through this eating disorder and it got to the point where it almost took my life away. And I had to go to a residential treatment center and begin to heal and recover. And when I got out of that center, I was kind of in the mindset that I was, you know, like I was done. And I learned pretty quickly with time that that wasn't something that I was ever going to be done with. And that, you know, being able to heal and stay healed is something that I always had to put a conscious effort into. And as time went by and I've interacted with different people that have helped me heal and also stay healed, I just saw so much value within that profession. And I learned pretty quickly that because I understood so much what it was like to be in these depths of pain, that I also had the potential to help people get out of those depths of pain as well. So I think just going through that experience and it being such a long and heavy road really just helped me want to become someone that could help other people get out of that place. Well, I think that's a great, very, very great point that you make. And and something I maybe a lot of people don't realize that a lot of therapists and a lot of people in the mental health profession, they don't always, they don't necessarily wake up and say one day, oh, I want to become a therapist. It's usually an event that happened to them themselves and out of their pain that they want to help others. And so I think what you had just mentioned, you had a very difficult adolescence and to the point where you had to go to a residential treatment center and out of your pain and your suffering, you want to use that for good and you want to help others because you know what it's like to go through that. And so can you tell me a little bit about during that time, right before you realized that maybe you need to go to a residential treatment center. Was it your idea? Did you want to go or was it someone else's idea and he didn't want to go? That's a very good question. I want to say it was a mix of the two because, you know, I knew that I had a problem and there was a huge part of me that really wanted to stay sick because it's all I really knew. And I was quite fearful of what life would be like without having the things like my eating disorder, because in a way it gave me this false sense of security. So a huge part of me did want to stay sick, but there was one day where I just felt like I couldn't take it anymore. And a very small percentage of me spoke out to my parents actually. And immediately I did want to take that all back. But at that point I couldn't take it back. And I'm lucky enough to have these parents that care so much and wanted to help me find the resources I needed. So at that point it was kind of like, you know, I wanted to take it back and a huge part of me wanted to stay sick, but that small part of me that had about three seconds of courage already spoke out and already got the ball rolling for myself. So it was a mix of the two, I'd say. Hmm. Well, that's good. Okay. So then you decide, okay, I want to get help. I'm going to say something to my parents. It was out there, right? You couldn't take it back. And your parents said, okay, great. Let's, let's find a place for you. And when, when you heard that it was going to be a residential treatment center, what, what did you think about that? I mean, right away, I kind of wanted to downplay everything 
because the idea of not living in my home and having to leave everything like school and my friends was really terrifying because I, you know, we all love comfort and our things that make us feel comfortable. And just the idea of facing this eating disorder and also doing it away from everything that I knew and that was comfortable was really, really terrifying. So I think a big part of me wanted to downplay it and try to convince the center that I could get away with less care. Lucky for me, I didn't think I was lucky at the time, but lucky for me, they didn't budge. Well, you probably weren't the the only one that tried to do that, right? So when you realize, okay, this is getting real, and then it's like, I don't know if I want to do this. Maybe it's not so bad after all, but the, the treatment center knew better, and they said, nope, we want you to come. And so you went. And did you have, what kind of experience did you have? Was it a positive experience or was it not really a positive experience? For the most part, it was pretty positive. Just in terms of the care that I got, I think that what was negative was inevitably just having to face all of these demons head on. I don't think that's honestly ever really that much of a positive experience, but I think what made it positive was that as I'm in this center, I started to gain a little bit of life back because I wasn't eating. I wasn't really, I was isolating. I wasn't really interacting with people. So as I'm eating regular meals and I'm going to these groups and I'm going to therapy sessions and really starting to kind of release everything that I pushed down inside of me and suppress all of those emotions kind of came to the surface. I started to feel a little bit more alive and I got proper medication. I started to realize that I had the capacity to make these connections with other people. And I think the life that I gained a little bit each day kind of made me want to feel more ready and motivated to keep gaining more and more of that life. So it was it was bittersweet in a lot of ways, but I would say overall positive. Well, and and you you said that you were kind of forced to face your demons, and that's scary for anybody. Who wants to do that? That's hard. And yet you were forced to, to do it. You couldn't leave and you were there, but you decided something in, in you decided, you know what? I'm here. There's no turning back. And whether I like it or not, I'm here and it's hard, but I've got to get the help because I'm hurting. And so you stayed and you got better. And eventually you left the residential treatment center And then what, like, how did then, did you turn that into helping others? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when I left, obviously I wasn't entirely cured. I was going back to the exact same life, the exact same circumstances, school, friends, family. So I think the big question was, how was I supposed to get better and stay better in this world that I got so sick in? And I think for me, that's when I had to realize that recovery was really about stamina. And I had to wake up every day and consciously choose to do that because no one else was going to do it for me. And the more I did that and the longer I did it for and came to a full recovery, the more I started to get older and also come to college and have to start really thinking about what I wanted to do with my career. And through that exploration, you know, I tried a few different things. I was actually a personal trainer for a little while. My undergraduate degree is in exercise science. But something in psychology always like lit up this spark in me that nothing else really ever could. And just seeing people struggle and feeling this deep empathy and compassion for them just didn't match anything else in all the other career fields that I had really tried. So I think that 
just, it was a different feeling when it came to psychology and helping other people. So you're in college and you're looking, sorry, are you looking at this point, a major, what to pursue or when did you decide to pursue psychology? Yeah. So like I said, it was in my undergraduate for exercise science and I graduated from that and I was working part-time as a personal trainer, but actually in my hometown of Massachusetts, one of my best friends was working at a mental health center for youth. And they really needed another employee there. And I decided that I was going to help out. And as I did that, that's when I started to feel that spark I mentioned that just felt different than any other really career path I had tried. So the more I worked there, the more I just felt like this passion for it. And the more I was just hungry to learn more. And eventually I quit all of the other jobs and just focused fully on this one job with youth. And then that's when I had decided that I was going to get my master's in social work. And as I was in my master's program, I was doing better in that program than I did in any other of my schooling in my entire life. I had a 4.0. I was just so excited and always happy to be going to class and learning new things. And it just felt so natural and so good. And I knew that that wasn't happening just because it was happening because it was something that I was just so invested in and found so much interest in. And when I got to apply it in some of, I mean, that one job with the kids, and I later got some other jobs and therapy roles, when I got to apply it and actually see people start to get better just simply by us talking and the power of those words and those conversations, that just made me recognize this is the field that I belong in. Well, that's a great story and how you use your, your pain and your past to help others. But like you said, when you, when you first left the treatment center, you weren't completely healed. You still had hurt and struggles. So when you started to help the kids in the, in the mental health job and role, were you still struggling at that time or maybe with something else that you were struggling with? Yes, definitely. I think that Although I do consider myself fully recovered from the eating disorder, I think the anxiety and depression tended to kind of stick around throughout that recovery and, you know, they would flare up every once in a while. So I would have moments of suffering throughout that. Yes. So you had to hold that, that burden while you were helping the students that you were working with. How did you do that? I think one of the biggest things for me was recognizing and accepting that therapists are humans too, and they're allowed to struggle and they're not expected to be perfect within their mental health because no one is. So I think one of them was accepting that because I tend to be someone that can be hard on myself and have a lot of perfectionist tendencies. So I think it was also just recognizing that that was okay. And that's very normal. And and getting help on my own was also something that was totally okay and was going to make me better in my profession as well. Because it's like, you know, you can't pour from that empty cup. Well, that's exactly right. And I think, I think a lot of times when somebody goes to see a therapist, they sit down or, or nowadays it's on their computer. But when you talk to a therapist, a lot of times people think, well, they have it all together. And they, they have all these tools. I don't have any tools. I'm, I'm just have a lot of anxiety, have a lot of depression, but you know, because, you know, clients come to us as therapists for, for us to help them. And sometimes 
clients think that we have it all together, but what you're saying, we don't. And you're exactly right. Cause we are humans too. We are people as well. So it is a fine line. It's a balancing act sometimes when the helper themselves are hurting and they're trying to help people who are coming to them who are hurting. And sometimes it's a balancing act. And sometimes it's learning to embrace the hurt and pain, like you were mentioning, Morgan, trying to embrace that and recognize that, you know what, I, I'm not perfect. I'm struggling. But here, I want to be present for my clients. And I think that can be a very, very good tool to, to be able to use to recognize, not to deny how we're feeling, but to recognize, you know what, I'm hurting. But my focus right now, right here, I need to focus on my clients. And so I think you brought up a, a really good point there. So, so tell me a little bit about being now, you're a mental health speaker. Tell me a little bit about that. You're an author as well. How did you get involved in that? Yeah, well, when it comes to the book itself, that actually happened because throughout my struggles as an adolescent, I was keeping journal entries. And one day I, I looked back at them and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I kind of turned this into a story, but also, you know, turned it into a story that showed recovery and kind of how I got there. So that's kind of how that came about was, you know, wanting to turn that into something that could break stigma, show the realities and depths of what that time in my life looked like and show the story of recovery. And it kind of bled over into mental health speaking as well, where I came across this wonderful company that had young adult speakers go to schools and organizations and tell their stories. And when I came across this company, my first thought was, wow, I, I have one of those and I would love to, to talk about it more. So I ended up training with them for quite some time to be able to put my story into something that was authentic and educational for students and organizations. And then I started to go and speak it. Wow. So you, you went from struggling as an adolescent with an eating disorder, going to a treatment center, not really wanting to go, but you did. You had to face a lot of your demons and it was hard, but you did. And then you came out of the treatment center, not completely healed, but stronger. And then you went to school and then you went to work in a mental health company with kids. And then you went on to get your master's in social work. And then you went on and wrote a book and then became a mental health speaker. That is quite the journey. Definitely. Definitely is. Yes. <laughs> and through it all, it was out of your hurt and pain. Yeah. I and, and I think that's what makes, makes you a powerful therapist and a speaker and an author. So tell me a little bit about your book. I'm curious about this. What, what is, you told us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? What's the title and where can people find it? So it is called Somber Suffocation. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Okay. So if they just type in your name or can you say the title again? Yes. Somber Suffocation. All right. Awesome. Thank you. So the journey. It's all about the journey and every helper can talk about a journey. And most helpers, as I mentioned, have gone through some hurt of their own. 
And it's because of that hurt, wanting to turn that hurt into something good. That's what makes helpers really empathetic, don't you think? That we can relate to other people's pain because we've experienced it ourselves. Absolutely. What do you think, Morgan, what do you think, what are some other attributes that you would say for a helper who is hurting? What are some positive attributes that come from that? Because it's not all negative. It's not all bad. It's not a bad thing for helpers to hurt. It's just what they're going through. But what are some positive things that could come from that? Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as well. And just recognizing that when you go through something like that, you you have a deeper understanding. And I think that creates this this whole other level of empathy. Oh, I'm sorry. You can go. No, you're exactly right. And and yet so often, even therapists can get into that trap of thinking, well, I shouldn't be hurting because I'm a therapist. I shouldn't be depressed because I'm a therapist. Or my spouse, I should be able to handle my spouse's depression because I'm a therapist and yet I'm depressed. And there's that negativity even therapists can have about themselves if they're really hurting with maybe a mental illness themselves or a loved one. And so that's a barrier. And, and yet what you're saying is we want to not look at it as a, as a downer or a barrier, but as a way to propel us to experience that deep empathy and that compassion. And it comes out, doesn't it? It comes out in a session. People can see that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there have been times where, you know, I could see my client's eyes get watery, instantly I could feel my face get hot. Like I could feel myself feeling it for them. Mm. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's a really interesting thing because our bodies kind of take over. They, our bodies tell us things that are, that are going on. So tell me a little bit more about the mental health speaking part. You mentioned going into schools and what is it that you do? What, what is it that you talk about? And do the students themselves, when you go talk to them? Have you found other students coming up to you and and relating to what you have to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So I've organized my presentation into kind of a, a timeline of my life where I talk about just being young and having these small seeds of self-doubt kind of placed in my head that with time, situations, and circumstances kind of cause them to grow. I talk about what it's like to be in an abusive relationship growing up. And then I talk about my eating disorder. I talk about anxiety, depression, perfectionism. I touch on self-harm. And then I talk about how all of that led to that day where I told my parents that I really needed that help and how that brought me to that treatment center. And kind of what I was telling you earlier, how you know being there was light and leaving there was like and having to kind of keep up with that recovery. So I, I tell it in those sections so I can kind of hit on each point and explain a little bit about what each struggle was like. And then at the end, I leave time for a question and answer. And that's typically when a lot of kids will ask a lot of specific questions about you know how to help a friend if they're struggling, what I would recommend. And sometimes at the end, also kids will come up and just let me know that that's something that they really resonated with and knows makes them feel good that they're not alone. Yeah. And and you bring up a really good point and that is you're not alone. And so whether you're a helper or maybe you're a client and you go see your therapist, now you're wondering, is my therapist hurting? And it very well could be, 
but now you can relate to and, and know and understand that even if the helper is hurting, they're still with you. They're, they are embracing you. They're holding your pain while they're holding themselves, their pain. And it's really interesting that when you go and speak and the teenagers that were there listening to you, you were holding their pain, even though you didn't even know them. And because you were speaking truth, speaking your, what you've, your experiences, what you've gone through, and it resonated with a lot of those students, I'm sure. In that moment, you were holding their pain. That really resonated with them, with a lot of them. And it probably, you might even have students that really stand out. There, there might be someone that has reached out to you along the way, and they really were impacted by what you had to say. So I think it's really interesting, Morgan, you still have a lot of years left, don't you? Yes. Your journey is not over. And in, and in some ways it's just beginning and it just started rough. It started with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And I'm sure a lot that we didn't cover in our episode, but when you look at that and you, instead of saying all these things happened to me and there must be something wrong with me. Instead of thinking or believing that, you can say, and you are saying, that those things did happen to me. I was affected. It hurt. It was painful. I would never want to go through it again, but I'm stronger now because of it. And I have resilience and grit, and now I can teach that in a way that a textbook or a master's program would ever be able to teach you. You lived it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that empathy, that power of compassion, that comes through. And so you are just started your journey, which is great. And I'm sure you're going to continue to speak, be a speaker. And who knows, you might write another book. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. What, what is it that you're currently doing? Yeah. So I kind of wear multiple hats. So I'm doing some part-time therapy work and I am also the regional director of that speaking company that I mentioned. It's called Minding Your Mind for California. We just opened up an office here. So I've been getting these presentations into schools out here too. So I'm working on expanding that. And then personally with myself, you actually are right. I am working on creating another book as well. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> and just seeing kind of where this this field takes me and what and what I feel is the right next move and where I'm currently at. Nice. So you are you're looking to the future. I love it and you're working on the present and I love that too, but you're not allowing the past to get in the way and that's so crucial. So crucial. Well, Morgan, we're coming to the end of our session. Here we go. I have session on the brain. We're coming to the end of our episode here. And something I ask all of my guests, and I talk a lot about self-care and the importance of self-care. And I ask my guests, what are some things that, that they do for self-care? And so I want to ask you, what are some things that you do for self-care to help yourself just kind of just take care of yourself? That is a good question. I think that most recently, one of the biggest things that has been helpful for my self-care is taking the time to learn myself, be in tune with myself, and implement the appropriate boundaries within my life to honor that. 
because I think that, you know, being someone that tends to be pretty motivated and ambitious and also, you know, wants to help, I tend to be someone that can, you know, run faster than I really need to. And especially living in a world where, you know, there's, there's so much urgency culture that's so normalized and a lot of overworking. So I think that for me, it's slowing down, being more present and in the actual moment that I'm in and tuning in with myself and honoring what that need is. Oh, I love it. And that's great advice for the helpers who are hurting to be in the moment and be present with yourself and be more attuned with your body. That is so good. We need to practice what we preach, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And by the way, I'm going to put your information on your about your book will be on the show notes. So if anyone wants to check that out, go to mentalhealthtodayshow.com and check out the book that Morgan wrote. It sounds very intriguing. Again, that's mentalhealthtodayshow.com and go check that out. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in to the show. I appreciate you so much. And I know some of you are going through a lot of struggle. Some of you who are helpers are hurting too. And I hope this has been helpful for you and encouraging to you. Don't give up. Keep going forward. I always say try to do 1% better today, 1% more today than you did yesterday. Keep working on your mental health. And as always, friends, you know that I really want you to know that the Mental Health Today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.